Secondly, by uniting us with others into one body, breaking the dividing wall of hostility, the barriers down, making us one, regardless of background, race, or creed, and making us a part of his family, the church, God's household. Hear these words. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us. In Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And now the part about unity. Therefore, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility." He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And then finally, consequently, you are now, you are, excuse me, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by his Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for a chance to worship you today, to receive new members, to sing songs of praise and joy, to hear your word read and proclaimed. Inspire us. Use this sermon, Lord. Use this message. Use the messenger. Anoint us by your spirit and lift us up. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic 
Church. Say that little phrase with me. The Holy Catholic Church. This little phrase in the Apostles' Creed trips up a lot of people. Why refer to the Catholic Church in the Apostles' Creed? We're Protestants after all. Why do we mention the Catholics? Some people tend to be a little bit suspect of Catholics. My mother was crazy upset when my sister became engaged to a Catholic man. Some of you might have similar experiences. Some people tend to have negative impressions of the Catholic Church. But let me be clear today. The word Catholic in the Apostles' Creed does not refer to the church down the street. It doesn't refer to the Catholic denomination or Catholicism. It isn't an appeal to the Pope or his legions of followers. The word Catholic here simply means universal. Say it with me. Universal. Notice that the word is written with a small c, not a capital C, as we would use for a proper noun to denote a proper name. When professing, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church, we are simply stating that we believe in the true Christian church of all time and space. I believe in the Holy Universal Church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. What does it mean? At least five things. Grab your outline and here we go. Number one, the Holy Catholic Church is transcendent. Just say the word with me. Transcendent. By this I mean that the Holy Catholic Church supersedes time and space, nation and race, denominations, and even life and death itself. Jesus died to make us one, to unite believers into one church, even as there is one baptism, one spirit, one body. And yet it is often said that Sunday mornings are the most segregated time of the entire week. Think about it. All other times of the week, we work together. We might go to school together. We might play together. We might socialize together. But come on Sunday morning, suddenly many churches revert to their own little cliques and enclaves of people who often look a lot like themselves. Thankfully, the church of Jesus Christ is much larger than any one particular congregation or denomination. A man arrives at the gates of heaven, and St. Peter asks him, what religion, what denomination do you belong to? And the man says, Methodist. And St. Peter looks down on his list, and he says, okay, you go to room 24, but be very quiet when you pass by room 8. Another man arrives at the gates of heaven. St. Peter asked him as well, what, what part of the faith are you belong to? And he said, Lutheran, I'm Lutheran. He said, Peter looks down his list. He says, go to room 18, but be very quiet when you pass by room 8. A third man arrives at the gates. St. Peter asks him to, what part of the faith do you belong? I'm Presbyterian, he said proudly. Go to room 11 but be very quiet as you pass by room 8. The man says, Now I can understand there being different rooms for different denominations, but why must I be quiet when I pass by room 8? And St. Peter tells him, Well, that's where the Reformed people are in. They still think they're the only ones here. (laughs) 
the holy Catholic Church is but one church, yet wonderfully diverse, comprised of believers in Jesus Christ, past, present, and future. Ephesians says there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, one hope to when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. John has a marvelous vision of this heavenly church in Revelation chapter 7. I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne worshiping the Lamb. Friends, the Holy Spirit is comprised of all believers in Jesus who ever lived and who ever will live from every nation, tribe, race, ethnicity, from every nation on earth, every people belonging to God. We are a part of this transcendent holy Catholic church. Praise God. Number two, the Holy Catholic Church is not only transcendent, but it is also tangible. Say it with me. It is also tangible. It includes the church probably where you grew up, if you grew up in a church. It includes the church up the street. It includes the Reformed Church as a denomination and the Catholics too. It includes Prairie Lakes and Hope City and Cedar Valley Church. It includes Harvest Vineyard and Open Bible Church and Green Hill Baptist and Orchard Hill Church and First Press and United Methodist Church, just to name a few. And it also includes the little church with a big ministry located at 520 Maxwell Street, Waterloo. Grace Reformed Church. Amen? We, too, are a part of the Holy Catholic Church. We're a part of the tangible expression of this church today. You know, Revelation chapter 14 speaks about 144,000 people who will be redeemed from the earth. And often it's thought that, well, that's a limit to the number of people in heaven. The Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, took this number literally until they realized that they had way more than 144,000 people in their membership. They had to revise the teaching because it didn't quite jive with what their experience was. No, 144,000 is not a number to be taken literally. It's not the cap limiting the number of people who get into heaven. Sorry, you're 144,001. There's no more space for you. No. No, no. As I've taught you before, numbers in the book of Revelation are often symbolic. And 12 and multiples of 12 are a reference simply to the people of God, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples, for example. Revelation 14 is really teaching that all of God's people, every single one, will be counted. No one will be left out. No one will be forgotten. And friends, this includes you and me. The Holy Catholic Church includes us, even Grace Church. Jesus said in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. They follow me and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Friends, this is a doctrine of security. You and I, we too are a part of the Holy Catholic Church, tangible. So this Holy Catholic Church, it's not just transcendent out there. It's tangible. It's right here. It is right, we're a part of it this morning. But it is also, thirdly, the true church. Say it with me, the true church. 
You know, I would love to be a universalist. Wouldn't that be great? You know what a universalist is? doesn't matter what you believe. All paths kind of lead up to God, whether you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Protestant or a Catholic, that, that all, if, if you believe sincerely that God is going to have mercy on you, you're going to be saved, and, and, and everybody will ultimately be saved. That's the teachings of universalism. Now, wouldn't that be great? It just seems so inclusive and so, you know, politically correct and, and so loving and kind. Uh, there's only one problem with that. It's not what the Bible teaches. As Reformed believers and as believers in, uh, in general, we are confined to the teachings of Scripture, are we not? And so Jesus even says in, in Matthew 25, verse 46, He's describing a parable here about the sheep and the goats. And he said, then they, that is the goats, those who didn't obey Jesus, that they will go away to eternal punishment. But the righteous, the sheep, to eternal life. Notice the words eternal. It's forever. There's no in between. There's no purgatory. There's no second chances. When Jesus returns again, and He will, He will judge all peoples. And there's going to be two groups of people, those that follow Jesus and will be saved forever and, and brought into heaven, and, and those who didn't. It's my hope and prayer that you will be a part of, of the sheep, the sheep pasture, the sheep pen. You see, in other words, it's not about being a nice person. It's not about being a religious person or a spiritual person. It's not just about being a good person. It's not about going to church and serving on a committee or giving an offering as good as all of those things are. No, ultimately it comes down to your personal faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus put it this way. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. It may not be a popular teaching, but friends, Jesus Christ is the way. Peter said there's no other name given among people on earth by which you can be saved except for Jesus. The truth is not everyone sitting in church today, and not necessarily literally here at Grace Church, but the church across the nation, around the world, not everybody who's sitting in church is a Christian is a follower of Jesus. Not everyone who appears to be a Christian really is a Christian. You see, sitting and serving in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And Jesus goes on to warn us in Matthew 24 and in Mark chapter 13 about the end times and how, how persecution is going to come, how things are going to heat up. It sounds like things that are maybe happening today. But he tells us to be on guard, to watch and to be ready and to pray, to stand firm. You see, the Holy Catholic Church is the true church of Jesus. And frankly, it's known only to Jesus himself. It's not our place to judge each other. No, our place is to examine our own heart in our own lives. Where are you in relationship to Jesus? 
Would you be counted among His redeemed? Have you come to a point in your life where you have literally said, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and Lord, and you have asked Him to come into your heart and your life? Jesus, I put you in the driver's seat because I can't do this anymore. I've made a pretty good mess out of my life. Lord, I need you. Come in. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. If you do that, you are a part of the true church of Jesus Christ, this universal Catholic church. Amen? Number four, the church is not only transcendent and tangible and true, but the Holy Catholic Church is transforming. Say it with me, transforming. Two, two senses of the word. First, the church itself is transforming itself. And we Reformers, we are who are Reformed, we know a little about, a bit about this, don't we? Because you see, we always stand our practices up against the Word of God. What does it mean to be Reformed? It means that we are reforming our life and our faith and our doctrines and our practices, our behaviors according to the Word of God. That's really what it means. That's all it means. It means that we put the Bible above us, that the Bible is our authority in life. And so we always have to examine our practices, just like the Reformers did in, in the early church, and, and said, hey, we, this is what we need to do. There's a sense in which the church itself is always transforming. In another sense, it is the church is transforming itself in regard to our culture today, regard to the world. How do we be in the world, but not of the world? You see, churches must adapt. No, the message doesn't change, but our methods must. You see, there's a word for churches who do not adapt to today's changing times and culture. They're called museums. Imagine if Grace Church never adapted over, over all of our years to include electricity or padded seats or air conditioning or drama or contemporary music or modern technology or Facebook. I went kicking and screaming, but I can do it, you know? These things are not concessions. Most of them are, are just ways of communicating in today's world. Was not the incarnation of God into Jesus Christ, the greatest innovation, the most creative method and means of communication that God could have done for you and me. To take on the form of human flesh, to come in a person, to communicate with us, to show us how to live and to die so that we could follow him. You know, the Bible wasn't written in classical Greek, the New Testament. It was written in something called Koine Greek, it is the language of the people. It was the common language. People understood that. That's how they talked to each other. God comes to earth in the form of Jesus. He reveals himself in Scripture in ways that we can understand. Our mission today, too, is to incarnate the gospel message, this timeless truth, into today's world. That takes a lot of prayer and discernment. It's not easy, and churches all across the world are trying to figure out how to do that, including ourselves. But our challenge, the mission of the church, if we choose to accept it, is to incarnate the gospel message, these timeless truths, into today's world. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22. To the weak I become weak, to win the weak. For I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might win some. 
In this sense, the church of Jesus Christ is always transforming itself. And in the second sense, the church of Jesus Christ also seeks to transform the world, to transform our culture. It's a two-way street. It's not that God has a mission for His church. It's that God has a church for His mission. It's not that, you know, here we are, the church, and there's mission on the side, and, oh, we got to do, we have a mission committee, and we do a few things here and there, and, you know, no, the church is established to be on mission for God in our world, to, to represent God, to represent the kingdom of God, to be assigned to point people to Jesus Christ. That Ephesians 1.10 says to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now let your light so shine. Yes, we are the hands and the feet and the voice and the heart of Jesus in today's world. Are we not? Is not Grace Church here to represent Jesus to the greater Cedar Valley as well as to one another? Amen? That's what we're about. And Grace Church has a mission. We want to be a place where ordinary people experience God's extraordinary grace. We want to be a place where all people can be welcomed into this place. But also, number two, the sub-point of our mission is that everybody in our midst and everybody that we can reach will experience the works of Jesus Christ, His saving grace for salvation, His healing, His forgiveness, His power in their lives. Is that not our mission? to be transforming. Maybe someone you know needs this transforming grace today. Maybe it's you. Maybe you come here today and you are feeling broken and tired and hurting and you're like, I just need a touch, a dose of God's grace today. Well, you have come to the right place because the Holy Spirit is alive and active in our midst. May you be transformed for having been here today. The Holy Catholic Church, it's transcendent, it's tangible, it's the true church, it is a transforming church, and number five, it is treasured. Say it with me, treasured. Anybody here have a prized possession? You have something that you're really kind of proud of, something that's kind of treasured to you? Maybe it's a car, Maybe it's your house. You're really proud of your house or your, or your, your yard. You know? Maybe it's an antique uh, that you really, oh, I love this. And, uh, you know, or a family heirloom somebody gave you. Maybe grandma and grandpa passed on to your parents. They passed it on to you. And, or maybe you're, you collect things, right? So maybe you collect, you have a collection of whatever it is. And this is a pro, maybe it's shoes, right? kind of looking this way now. Yeah, okay. So kind of looking over that, that direction now. But So maybe, you know, whatever it is, you have a prize. Probably everybody has a prized possession. Well, guess what? So does God. So does God. You know what? You are a part of God's collection. <laughs> you are a part of His people that He is calling out of this world to follow Him. Saved by grace and grace alone, a gift from God, not by anything we've done, not by works. Strictly a gift from Him. You, we, Grace Church, we are the prized possession of God Himself. 1 Peter 2.9 says it this way, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. 
The Bible speaks of God's people as the apple of His eye. Maybe you have a child or a grandchild, and they are the apple of your eye, right? Well, you are the apple of God's eye. As He looks upon you today, Jesus died for you. Let me ask you this, who would you die for? Hopefully, you're never put in that situation, and we never really quite know we never really quite know what we would do in those situations, but sometimes we would say, well, I would, die for, I, would, I would die for my spouse, or I would die for my children, I would die for my child, I would die for, for a close friend. Well, Jesus dies for you. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, although for a good man somebody might possibly dare to die. But God shows His love for us in this, and yet when we were still sinners, Christ died for you. In other words, God loves you so much that He would rather die for you than to live without you. He's made a way for you to be a part of His eternal, heavenly, Catholic church forever and ever. Amen? You know, the word church in the original Greek in the New Testament is the word ekklesia. I wrote about this in my pastor's preview on Friday. And it, uh, it's the word where we get our word ecclesiastical. It's, we think of that as a kind of of the church. Um, and it's really comprised of a prefix and a root word. And the prefix is the word ek. Uh, kind of like an E-K or E-C, if you want a, a hard C. It's, it simply means out of or exit from. And the word klesia comes from the root word kaleo in Greek, and that's the word that simply means called or to call. Literally, the ekklesia means the called out ones. You and I are called out of this world to represent God in this world. You and I are called to be set apart. That is holy. It's the holy Catholic Church. So that we could be on mission for God, redeeming the world. My question today is, would people know if they looked upon you or upon Grace Church as a whole, are we any different? Is there something about you about our church collectively, that people would say, I want to be a part of that. The Spirit is alive in there. Those people at Grace Church, they're weird people. There's something interesting about them. And I kind of, you know, in a weird way, I'm kind of drawn toward that group because they're very welcoming and they're very loving. And yet they believe in Jesus and they're living it out. Would people notice that we are somehow called out to be different? Do we march to the beat of a different drummer as we sang in our first song? And so today I want to encourage you to remember who you are and whose you are. The Holy Catholic Church of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you for just some basic teaching today on what it means to belong to your church, this universal church throughout all time and space, believers who are living and believers who have gone before and believers who are yet to come, a church that really is only known to you. 
And yet, Lord, we can know that we belong to you, our good shepherd, by being your sheep and submitting to you, the Lord Jesus. So, Lord, would you come? Refresh us and renew us. Grant us your peace. Grant us your power. Grant us your passion for Jesus. Grant us your purity as we are set apart from the world to be the people of God. O Lord Jesus, come. Refresh us and renew us, we pray now. Grant us this living hope in your holy name. Amen. Let us stand to sing this great song of confirmation, of an expression of our faith, song by Phil Wickham, Wickham, Living Hope. Great a mercy was some son. 